Brian Hanley, we're talking about the IRA during the Second World War, or the emergency, as we call it in Ireland. And my first question is, why was the IRA still in business in 1939? Hadn't the independence of Ireland been achieved? Well, from the point of view of the IRA, and and indeed other Republicans, of course, it hadn't, because one partition had meant that uh, six counties were still under control of the British. And also, as far as the IRA were concerned, the free state, even under de Valera, was still a puppet state, and that's the rhetoric they would have used of the British. Um, Leinster House wasn't the real doll. Fianna Fáil had abandoned the Republican cause by en- entering Leinster House. And, and by 1939, of course, Fianna Fáil were, were already jailing Republicans. So as far as the IRA were concerned, the national struggle wasn't finished. And indeed, it was intensifying because in January 1939, they'd begun uh, a campaign mainly in Britain, which they hoped would actually put the, the Irish question back in the forefront of, of international politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've written before, and you've said to us before, that uh, imme- in the immediate uh, post-Civil War period, what the IRA was most concerned about was actually overthrowing the free state, the southern state. Um, had that changed? Were they more concerned about the northern state by this point? It does begin to change a little bit, although the rhetoric is still very similar. And, and during the war years, the, the hatred of de Valera and Fianna Fáil really intensifies. So actually they do uh, rhetorically still very much um, abuse and attack the Free State. But from 1937-1938, when the IRA is, is being reorganised to a certain extent, and it, particularly it's being led by Sean Russell, who, under the influence of, of Joe McGarrity in the United States, proposes a campaign aimed at ending partition. And it's McGarrity who says, you know, this is an obvious point. Why aren't we putting all our efforts into winning back the six counties? This is the cause that will rally Irishmen everywhere. He says that as early as 33, 34 to the IRA, but it's really in the late 30s to begin to take it on board. It may seem obvious, but, I mean, the, 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 numerically and organisationally, the strength of the IRA was in the free state, they were still relatively weak in the north, although they were growing a little bit. And the weaker they got in the free state, the stronger they got in the north, ironically, by the late 30s. So the north begins to have a, a bit more say. And obviously the, the emph- emphasis of Northern IRA was very much on, on the conditions that they, they lived under. So partition does become rhetorically more important, and also it becomes the focus of this campaign. But because of what happens during the war years, they also still despise the free state. Mm. Um, but this campaign is intended to make partition an international issue. Mm. The bombing campaign in England was designed to end partition and to drive Britain out of Northern Ireland, is that right? Well, I think, you know, in the best possible scenario, maybe. I think what more realistically they hoped to do was make partition a huge issue because of bombs exploding in Britain, to very ambitiously have a plan that would paralyse part of British industry and the transport network that would also have a propaganda effect of bombs in London, bombs in Manchester and bombs elsewhere disrupt public life. This would force the British government into reconsidering its position in Ireland. It would force de Valera to take sides. Again, you have this, you know, unrealistic, but at times, you know, while the IRA reject what Fianna Fáil is saying, they still believe deep down that Fianna Fáil does want end partition. Maybe certainly Joe McGarrity believes that De Valera might, if, if if activity doesn't take place within the Free State, if it's confined to Britain or maybe confined to the North, that De Valera will be forced to go along with it, and that a lot of Fianna Fáil supporters will will tacitly support it, and that this will basically put partition back on on the agenda and maybe force some kind of conflict between the Free State and Britain. So there's a whole 
variety of ideas. I think for a lot of ordinary IRA members, the campaign just gave them a focus. After years of political disputes and squabbles and of parading and drilling for nothing and always being told to expect war but war not happening, this was war. This gave them something to do and a lot of young men and women go to go to England you know, to take part in this campaign fairly enthusiastically you know, because this is finally the moment has arrived for the reopening of the conflict. Is this before or after the World War breaks out? It starts before. It starts in January 1939, mm. and it continues for a little bit after war is broken out. I mean, there are still bombs being planted by the IRA in the spring of 1940, but that's the first couple of months that does have an impact on British life. I mean, there hadn't been anything like it since the Fenian bombings, really, um, I suppose. There's yeah. a bit during the War of Independence, but in the 1880s, there'd obviously been bombs in London. So mm. it, it does make the headlines, you know, and it does cause disruption, and it also kills and injures numbers of people. That begins to decline as the summer goes on. You have the bombing in Coventry in August, which is a disaster. It kills five civilians. Eventually, two IRA men are hanged um, because of that. But obviously, when Britain goes to war, uh, the IRA's campaign is an irritant, um, if that. So it's declined by the spring of 1940. But the IRA still rhetorically claim that it's ongoing. And it, it isn't until, until or I think, around 1946 that the IRA officially declared that 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 campaign is over. Okay. But it really, in reality, it's over by 1940. The World War breaks out in September 1939. And what, what was the IRA's attitude to the World War? Yeah, I, th- I think there's a whole range of attitudes um, within the IRA. The very simple one, obviously, is that Britain is in trouble. Uh, England's difficulty is Ireland's opportunity. Britain is now at war with a major power, a serious enemy. This offers an opportunity for Irish Republicans to take advantage of that. That can range from the views of simply that it's it's going to make things easier for us. The British are going to have to, you know, uh, will be worried about what we can do. To those who believe, well, this is, you know, there'd already been contacts between German intelligence and the IRA in, in the United States and elsewhere. This will open up new avenues of finance or arms. Um, a lot of, I presume a lot of members of the IRA don't think about it very deeply beyond the fact that it's going to cause major problems for Britain. Like a lot of Irish nationalists, there's in the early stages of the war a kind of feeling of it's a good thing to see the British taking a bit of a pasting. There'd also be, and this is expressed by you know people in Fianna Fáil and even um, broader society, you know, they don't really believe the Germans are that bad because they've heard all this propaganda before and it's only 20 years since the Black and Hands were in Ireland. People know very well the reality of, of what the British are capable of. So there isn't a visceral hatred of, of the Germans. And, you know, a lot of, again, a lot of people don't think too deeply about Nazism. That doesn't mean they, they like it, but they're, they're not, you know... In, the, in our world, we, we, we know the realities of what the Nazis meant. People don't at the time. Then, again, more controversially, there's a small number of IRA officers who, by the late 30s, I think, had been attracted to far-right politics. Mm-hmm. The IRA is in a flux politically. There's all kinds of arguments and debates taking place. Some of them are interested in kind of Christian social teachings. Others are interested in, um, you know, the social credit and corporatism, all these ideas. So a few of them, I think, are attracted but to These are right. fascist ideas, basically. Yeah, just, yeah, some of them, and some of them are attracted to fascist ideas. And that begins... Certainly by 1940-41, you see elements of that in IRA publications. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1939, you tend to see more neither King nor Kaiser type stuff. Right. Current IRA men are most often accused of actual collaboration with Germany, and I'm talking about Sean Russell. Can you speak a little bit about their role during the war? Well, Russell is the chief of staff from 1938, and he's the man who really drives the, the campaign in England. He goes to the United States in 1939, 
and he leaves the IRA under the control of Stephen Hayes from Wexford, who's a close ally of his. Russell eventually ends up in Germany, so Russell had, Russell had contacts with the Germans in the United States in probably 1937-38, and he goes to Germany during 1940. Again, even the very fact that he's, he's spirited out of the United States, mm-hmm. having been the FBI had been on his tail, um, he goes to Italy, I think, and then is brought to Germany. He's in Germany during the summer of 1940. He's, according to an account in the United Irishman, which is published, the Republican paper, published in, in 1951 for the unveiling of the Russell statue in Fairview Park. Um, Russell is treated as a diplomat, as you know, as a, the leader, essentially, of, a, of a, a revolutionary army, as representative of the Irish Revolution. He's given special facilities. He's shown various military camps, and he meets leading Nazis, including von Ribbentrop, um, to discuss the possibilities of the IRA playing a role in Operation Sea Line, which is the plan to invade Britain mm. during the summer of 1940. Now, by the time Russell gets there, the Nazis have conquered um, France and, and most of, of, of Western Europe. It looks very much like these guys are going to be the winners. Mm. And Russell never... There's no record of Russell ever uh, uttering any kind of pro-Nazi statements in terms of Nazi policy. Um, what he was known for in the IRA was that he tended to be avoid political discussions and was pretty uncomfortable with them. He'd been in the Soviet Union in 1925, and again, he'd never uttered any pro-communist statements. Mm. He's practical. He was popular with the IRA rank and file. He was quartermaster general for a long time. He doesn't seem to be a very complicated person except the fact that he's dedicated to this idea that the IRA are going to free Ireland from British rule. And he'd been a member of the Irish Volunteers since 1913. Mm. But by 1940, he is in Berlin. He's in the capital of Nazi Germany. He's meeting leading Nazis. And he seems to be basically prepared to aid them in an attack on Britain, which will involve them coming to Ireland as well, because the IRA will play a role in attacking the British in Northern Ireland or perhaps in carrying out operations in the 26 counties as well, and the Germans are going to then obviously use that as part of their invasion plans. Now, the logic of that means, obviously, that the Germans are going to land in Ireland in mm-hmm. some shape or form. Now, Russell dies on his way back to Ireland on board a U-boat, so this remains, you know, yeah. conjecture. We don't mm-hmm. know what would have happened. The IRA, in their publications by 1940, are saying they hope Germany wins, that they're talking mm-hmm. about their German and Italian allies. They're talking about, you know, the fact that this will mean freedom for Ireland, the victory for, for the Axis powers will mean freedom for Ireland. So rhetorically, they're saying that at home. Mm-hmm. Whatever about, you know, the several hundred IRA men who are in the Cora, the others who are in jail, and the others who are on the run throughout the country, this, whoever's writing war news, which is their underground publication, yeah. is saying things like this. I mean, it does call into question what they meant by a term like freedom. You know, when you're talking about Nazi Germany. Well, it's pointed out at the time by people on the left in the Irish Democrat newspaper in, in Britain and in the Irish Worker, Irish Worker's Voice, I think, which is the communist paper. They do argue that the IRA are applauding people who've subjected Abyssinia and Czechoslovakia and Poland and all these places to occupation. And they also point out again that the IRA's, Belfast IRA officers approach Ono Duffy during 1940 and ask him, would he become involved with the IRA? Mm. Duffy, the former blue shirt leader. The former blue shirt leader, former deadly enemy of the IRA. And it seems to be widely known because the the communist paper says that Ono Duffy is being courted by the IRA. So, again, this would raise questions about what exactly do you mean by freedom and who, Mm. who, you know, certainly a lot of Republicans um, surely couldn't have thought O'Duffy would uh, have any kind of um, linkage with them. Again, there's a wider, wider question which you know, without approaching it in a kind of moralistic way, which some people do now, about, you know, the level of knowledge of Nazism and all the rest. 
Certainly a lot of Irish people during 1940, I think, didn't, didn't think too deeply about what Nazism meant. And they, they wanted to see Britain get some form of a bloody nose. Mm-hmm. And they had constantly pointed out the hypocrisy of the British Empire claiming to be fighting for freedom when it held India and other places mm-hmm. in subjection. They wouldn't have, a lot of the time, they don't seem to have considered too much about what the Norwegians or the Dutch or the Belgians thought about being occupied. And Sean Mulready, who was an IRA prisoner in the Curragh, he later became a communist, which possibly, again, you know, his, his reminiscences are going to be coloured by that. But he, he was there when news came true of the fall of France. And he says, like, hundreds of his former internees began to run around in delirious joy that France had fallen because they believed this mean, meant Germany was going to win. Now, again, retrospectively, he says, so they were celebrating the downfall of the birthplace of modern republicanism to the Nazis. Mm. And he says, I couldn't understand. And a few people in the camp like him then effectively broke politically with the IRA and, and formed their own organisation, and there was numerous splinters. Of, you know, So I think it is a live question, and it does raise... It's one that's not, never really been adequately dealt with by by Republicans. Uh, a lot, post-war, a lot of them just kind of let the matter rest and didn't want to consider it. Mm-hmm. And then you also have Russell become such a kind of hero. His, his status is, is quite high in terms of Republican iconography, even though he's not a very successful chief of staff. And the fact that he's a, he's a Dubliner and there's a statue of him in Dublin and better known, for example, than Moss Toomey, who was chief of staff for a decade and who, you know, doesn't achieve what the IRA set out to do, but in some ways is a much more effective leader for them. Mm-hmm. Um, Russell would be much, you know, there's no Moss Toomey Cummins, as far as I know, of Sinn Féin, but there have okay. been Sean Russell ones, you know, so. In Britain, the IRA had a brief, fairly unsuccessful bombing campaign. Um, Sean Russell investigated cooperation with the Germans. Here in Ireland, North and South, how big of a security problem was the IRA for the two states in Ireland? I think they were a substantial enough problem for different reasons. In the North, first of all, nationalist resentment at, at how they were being treated, again, seems to, to intensify in the late 30s. And again, I, I think there was a feeling among the nationalist community, and even among people like Cahar Healy, who'd been a former, he'd been a home rule, well, he'd been a Sinn Féiner, and then he became a, a nationalist party leader. They think the Germans are going to rescue them too, to some extent, you know. So there's a kind of feeling Britain's in trouble, and this might lead to a, you know, to a change in our circumstances. So the IRA begins to grow in the north, and they pull off a couple of of, of stunts. I mean, they they organise the burning of gas masks on the Falls Road, you know, as a kind of measure of defiance. They they at various stages during the the war they take over cinemas and read out the proclamation. They steal arms from uh, British bases. They carry out a number of operations. And even though they're under severe pressure, which they usually are anyway, within the six counties, they do manage to survive. And lots of them, internment is introduced. They're locked up in Belfast and in Derry. They're locked up on prison ship as well. There's escapes from Derry jail. There's um, gun battles with the police and the beast specials. One IRA man, Tom Williams, is executed Mm -hmm. in 1942. That, again, the nationalist community rallies round. Hundreds of thousands of people sign petitions calling for his reprieve. There is a wider constituency there, even if most of the nationalists aren't IRA supporters. There is, because of, of essentially because of the, the, the way the state is, is, is set up and because of, of discrimination, the IRA is able to function to a certain extent without ever being a serious threat to the North at the same time. Um, you know, when the, the Americans arrive in 1942, over 100,000 of them, the IRA... You're stationed con- in Northern Ireland, yeah, yeah. stationed in Northern Ireland, the IRA condemns this, and some of the IRA even talk about, will they now become part of our enemy? And it just would be, you know, ludicrous to, to even, whatever about even trying to fight the British, to try and fight the Americans as well, is just not on. So the war and all the rest complicate matters, but the IRA survives, and there's a whole Northern culture from the 40s. Mm-hmm. A lot of these... Um, 
Republicans, you know, Republican families in Belfast and all the rest, all of them are interned or jailed during the 40s, mm-hmm. but it survives. And people like Joe Cal, for example, sentenced to death in 1942. In the South, they're probably a little bit more of a threat in some ways, not in military capabilities, although there's probably a couple of thousand IRA members have started the war. Mm-hmm. They have a substantial amount of arms and equipment, a lot of which gets captured during the war. A lot of their Thompson guns are captured um, during the war years. They have a network. They have people all over the 26 counties. Still have, you know, dedicated guerrilla operators and all the rest, including a few veterans of, of the War of Independence, Civil War. But the problem for De Valera is that if he wants to maintain neutrality, it means that he can't allow the 26 counties to be used as a base for attacks on England. Mm-hmm. The IRA, in theory, are trying to do that. This could be used by the British as an excuse to intervene, which, of course, the British do seriously consider intervening mm-hmm. and invading the 26 counties during 1940. They could have used the IRA's links with Germany as an excuse. They could have used bombs in England as an excuse. So that does make them a security problem. And then they also, in December 1939, and it doesn't reflect very well on, on the state, um, but also rebounds on the IRA. The IRA carry out the robbery of the, the Irish Army's main magazine fort at, uh, at, at the Phoenix Park and rob over a million rounds of ammunition which is hugely embarrassing for the state. It's almost all the, the defence forces reserve ammunition. The IRA steal it. Most of it's recovered within a week because they haven't thought through how to hide all of this. But it does mean the government takes them very seriously. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole series of legal moves in the Offences Against the State Act and various things to try and uh, make arresting the IRA and rounding them up easier. Mm. Now, there are difficulties in mean, the court cases and all the rest that the government's loses, but eventually by 1940 internment is introduced. And also then, as the IRA begins to confront the state more physically, which is IRA members being chased by detectives, Mm. you have a whole series of gun battles and shootings, which brings the IRA into deadly conflict Mm. with the Gardaí, and then eventually leads to executions and also then prison protests and hunger strikes. How many IRA men were executed in the the war years? Six are executed altogether during the war years. Mm. And um, in the south now, or in all of Ireland, in in the twenty six counties, okay. one one is executed in the north. So okay, so seven in total. One of the interesting things about that is is the Tom Williams execution in nineteen forty two is regarded as um, a major provocation by the northern Irish government, and De Valera and other people support calls for clemency. Mm. De Valera, as diplomats, con- you know, in the United States, argue with the Americans that. If Williams is executed, this will lead to a backlash against the British. It'll also, you know, lead to trouble and that he should be reprieved. And the newspapers, particularly, you know, the Irish press and the Irish Independent, they give a lot of coverage to the campaign for Williams' reprieve. Mm -hmm. But, of course, it's a completely different matter when IRA members are executed in the Free State. Mm -hmm. Coverage of campaigns for their reprieves is heavily censored. Um, One newspaper, for example, which uses the term... um, murder to describe the crime for which Williams was convicted is told by the censorship board to substitute the word killing of an RUC officer where they're ordered to use the term murder for the killing of Gardaí even though Gardaí were killed most of the Gardaí who were killed were killed in gun battles where you know technically in court you could argue that the IRA didn't set out to murder them and didn't plan to murder them they were usually shooting at IRA members as well there's only one Garda who's killed in what might be assassinated it's yeah. planned, planned to kill him but it, the, the, the southern state is very clear that there won't be any room for clemency mm-hmm. um, there's a there are protest campaigns but these are kept you know 
fairly under tight control. There's a lot of censorship. And the state takes a very different view of its policy of execution as compared to the North or Britain. There's two IRMN executed in Britain um, in 1940 for the Coventry bombing. And again, there's a lot of publicity in Southern Ireland for a reprieve campaign. Fianna Fáil TDs speak out against this, and it's again seen as an example of, of young Irishmen being, being hanged by a vengeful um, British, British state. But that's not the position once it, it occurs, when executions occur in the free state. Mm-hmm. Around 1,000 jailed are interned altogether, mm. and the numbers change because some people are jailed, and then as soon as they're their sentences are served, they're just arrested again and put in the curra. Okay. So you have people in Arbor Hill, people in Mount Joy, uh, hundreds in the curra, and also a number in Port Leash, which is actually the hardest prison because that's where a number of IRA prisoners refuse to wear a prison uniform. Mm-hmm. They effectively go on the blanket. A lot of them are, spend most of the time in, in solitary confinement. If people like Sean McCaughey, who dies in hunger and thirst strike in 1946, mm-hmm. held in Port Leash, Eamon Smullen and Tomás McCartan, they're, they're in Port Leash, which is the hardest place, really, mm. to be an IRA prisoner. Um, the Curra, at times, is tough, but it's quite a different experience for the prisoners who are there. There you have people like Martin O'Coyne, who becomes later on Professor of Irish at Trinity. A lot of IRA members learn Irish for the first time in the Curra. You have Russian classes and German classes, and you have various little camp publications published, and a whole different kind of experience, which is, you know, obviously not a pleasant experience a lot of the time but it's quite different to being held in, in Port Leash for example so that mm-hmm. again in, in terms of Republican history and the people who come out of the Curra you know you have those who remain within the Republican movement and the Curra becomes part of that experience but you have also those who leave and go in different directions Rory Brewer for example the son of Cahill Brewer eventually becomes a Fianna Fáil um, TD and, and politician um, he's there Martin O'Coyne is there Brendan Behan is there briefly um, so you have a whole Michael O'Reardon, the communist, is in the corridor for a while as well. Mm-hmm. Um, as we look back at the IRA's role during the emergency, should we see them in the same light as collaborators like the uh, Croat nationalists or Flemish or, or Breton nationalists, or should we just view it as an idiosyncratic Irish situation? Well, the first, the most important point, and it's also the, the luckiest one, is that Ireland, uh, the 26 counties, weren't occupied by the Germans. So therefore, this is all hypothetical. And no matter how upset people get over this, uh, the point is we don't know, thankfully. Unfortunately, the European lesson is that nationalists of whatever description who decided to cooperate with the Nazis almost always ended up doing their dirty work and being implicated in atrocities and oppression. Varied from place to place. You know, Obviously, in Eastern Europe, it was a lot worse than it was in Brittany. Um, but I, still I don't, bad. yeah, and still quite bad. I mean, that, this is only in, yeah. in very relative, in relative yeah. terms. Yeah. yeah, there's no reason why it would have been any different in Ireland, and there were people who pointed that out. You know, there was people in 1940 pointing out that the IRA's um, dalliance with the Nazis wasn't going to lead anywhere good, and you also, you know, purely from the lessons of history, it, it should have been apparent that the German Empire, you know, wasn't going to be any better than the British Empire. So, but it's hypothetical because there is a lucky escape. The IRA draws other lessons from the war years. One, a lot of its activists conclude that taking on 
the, the Gardaí in the manner they did, being so confrontational towards the government was disastrous. And in the late 40s, they decide not to do that again. Mm. There is, however, a new impetus given to some of them in terms of there is a whole new um, experience of prison and of martyrdom, which then also provides a, a backing for their efforts in, in the 1940s and 50s as well. So you've a lot of people who, who never become really active in Republican politics again after the war, but you've others who are, who are given a, a greater desire to continue and see it as you know it's a crucial part of their formation as, as Republicans. Mm-hmm. Okay, Brian Hanley, thank you very much.